Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of uh, interviewing uh, Janos Tanyi, who is a friend and colleague. Uh, he's at the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in the Abramson uh, Cancer Center in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and the topic for this uh, discussion is uh, a very important, interesting article that was uh, recently published in the Journal of uh, Clinical Oncology. Um, the title is A Phase Three Study of Pafilocyanine Injection, OTL38, for Intraoperative Imaging of Fully Receptor Positive Ovarian Cancer, Study 006. Janos, uh, thank you so much for accepting our invitation and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Of course. So first of all, congratulations. Obviously, a huge accomplishment in, in completing this, uh, this study. Uh, also, uh, you know, certainly publishing it in uh, Journal of Clinical Oncology. So Janos, I wanted to uh, start um, by first, can, can you give us a bit of a background on, on the use of uh, tumor-targeted imaging agents to improve the likelihood of achieving complete cell reduction? So uh, we know that the literature clearly demonstrated in the past that the amount of residual disease is an independent prognostic factor of survival and the absence of uh, microscopic residual disease is associated with significantly better prognosis. This is long known, uh, multiple uh, paper proved it. Achieving maximal cytoreduction relies upon the accurate detection and successful surgical removal of all lesions. But there are important limitations to this intraoperative approach using a visual inspection under white light together with palpitation uh, with the hands to identify tumors for resection as there is a risk for overlooking lesions, particularly they are small in size. The use of intraoperative tumor-targeted imaging agent is expected to improve the likelihood of achieving complete cytoreduction. So I would like to go over a couple of prior agents, uh, how the field developed. First, uh, the use of endocyanin green dye was an early attempt uh, to intraoperatively imaging malignant lesions, but the lack of target specificity led to a false positive rate as high as 62% and rapid clearance led to a workflow challenges and problems. So early visible light eyes provided proof of concept regarding identification of cancer lesions in real time. For example, there was a nice publication, Thomas and colleagues published an intraoperative imaging of folate receptor alpha positive ovarian and breast cancer using this tumor specific agent EC17. But this early agent came with a suboptimal tumor to background ratio and high autofluorescence. And this prompted the development of brighter dyes which excite under near infrared imaging range, so out of the visible uh, wavelengths, and developed uh, this new agent, for example, the OTR38. The new OTR38 developed uh, and the phase one and phase two studies were completed first. In the phase one study, we were able to identify the optimal dose range and timing of administration to support intraoperative imaging in a set of 30 healthy volunteers. The study also confirmed that the ability of OTR38 to accumulate in folate receptor positive cells and provide early evidence that this intraoperative imaging approach could identify lesions that may otherwise be missed by standard approaches of visual inspection and, and manual palpation. Then we continued with the phase two study back in time 
which was between 2014 and 17. And we found that 49% of the patient had at least one lesion detected by intraoperative fluorescence imaging that would have been missed otherwise. In the, in the phase three study, the, uh, again, the folate receptor alpha was selected as a pharmacological target with the folic acid analog pafolacian in sodium as the fluorescence probe. It has been estimated that the majority of uh, ovarian epithelial cancers expressed uh, folate receptor alpha 10 to 100 fold higher than the non-malignant tissues. Great. So it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, thank you for, for that review. And it sounds like you you came to this uh, phase three uh, trial uh, based on previous experience on LTL38. Um, any additional uh, comments you want to make about uh, why specifically you use this uh, particular dye? So uh, this is uh, targeting folate receptor alpha. Folate receptors are overexpressed in several malignancies, including ovarian cancer. There was a nice study, Market and colleagues uh, reported that 97% of the ovarian carcinomas uh, express folate receptor alpha, mostly at a high level of, um, or moderate or high level of expression. By contrast, in the same study, non-neoplastic uh, non ovaries uh, showed only weak expression or uh, sometimes missing expression on normal tissues. Pafolacin is sodium injection, uh, also known as uh, its brand name, Cytolux, is a folic acid analog conjugated with an indocyanin green-like uh, dye, which serves as a tumor-specific um, imaging agent, uh, which can be used as an adjunct in surgical oncology procedures for tumors that overexpress folate receptors. Pafolacianin possesses the desirable features of being to uh, tolerable by systemic administration, having high target affinity and a short elimination half-life from non-target tissues, but otherwise being retained throughout the procedure in cancer cells. Great. And um, tell us a little bit more about um, the methodology. So who was included in this study and who did you not include in the study? Absolutely. So this study was a single-dose, open-label, prospective trial of adult female patient diagnosed with ovarian cancer or for whom there was a high clinical suspicion of ovarian cancer and who were scheduled to undergo cytoreductive surgery by standard of care. The patients were recruited in the United States and in the Netherlands from March of 2018 uh, through April of 2020 yielding about 150 patients exposed to Cytolux who comprise the safety analysis set. In this study, the, the uh, patient serves as their own control, specifically the surgical plan for each patient was compared before and after applying the intraoperative near-infrared fluorescence imaging. Eligible study participants, as I mentioned, I already mentioned, were adult female patients over 18 years of age of diagnosis, with diagnosed with ovarian cancer uh, or had the high clinical suspicion of ovarian cancer and who were scheduled to undergo cytoreductive surgery. Patient had to have the ability to understand the requirement of the study, provide written informed consent for participation in the study. Some of the key exclusionary criteria included previous exposure to cytolux, non-folate receptor negative ovarian cancer. And I just would like to mention from the 178 patients who signed the consent, only one patient had folate receptor negative ovarian cancer. Mm. Also exclusionary criteria were impaired renal function, impaired liver function, or non-brain metastasis and planned surgical debulking via laparoscopic or robotic surgery. Excellent. And uh, Janos, you mentioned uh, on the study design, uh, patients being their own control. Can you tell us a little bit more about this within subject design? And then I'm also interested if you can speak about how the 
tissue pathology was evaluated. All right. Uh, so this study was a single dose open label prospective trial, as I mentioned to you. On the morning of the surgery, the patients were administered a single dose of 60 minute long infusion of 0.025 milligram per kilogram of cytolux at least one hour before the intraoperative imaging. Per standard practice, the surgeon avoided the abdominal cavity using the white light and manual palpation to identify and document all suspicious lesions. This process informed the development of the pre-fluorescent surgical plan. So that was the time before any interoperative molecular imaging happened, then the pre-fluorescent surgical plan was established. Then a randomization step was done. A closed envelope arrived to the OR, which could contain two words, fluorescence or no fluorescence. If the fluorescence word was in the envelope, we proceeded with interactive molecular imaging. If the no fluorescence word was in the envelope, we proceeded with standard of care. So when the fluorescence word was in the envelope, um, the near-infrared fluorescence imaging performed uh, in the OR, allowing the surgeon to look for the fluorescent signal and identify and document again any additional lesion. Uh, there will be updating the surgical plan accordingly. It was, this was the last time when the surgeon could change the pre-fluorescent surgical plan. A small percentage of the patients were randomized to the no fluorescence imaging arm. The randomization ratio was 20 to 1 and requested by the FDA in order not to undercore the number of lesions under white light. Hmm. All patients that underwent the surgery with the surgeon removing lesions as uh, per the uh, new surgical plan and a standard of care. Once the surgery was completed, as the final step, a near-infrared fluorescence imaging was applied one more time to identify any missed lesions. Samples removed were sent to the Central Pathology Laboratory in Moffitt Cancer Center down in Florida from all 11 center which were involved. And down in Florida, uh, hematoxin eosin uh, pathological analysis and uh, folate receptor alpha immune histochemistry was done on each single samples by two blinded pathologists. The design, we compared the pre-fluorescent surgical plan to the uh, post-fluorescent surgical plan. Excellent. And what was the um, what was the primary objective and the secondary objectives of the study? So in our phase three study, the primary objective was to confirm the efficacy of Citalox with intraoperative near-infrared fluorescence imaging to detect additional folate receptor positive ovarian cancer lesion that were not detectable by normal white uh, light and uh, manual palpation and was found on tissue originally not planned for resection. The secondary objective of this study included estimation of the sensitivity, the false positive rate, as well as to further access safety. The false positive rate was um, counted by comparing the detection of lesions using interoperative fluorescence imaging with Citalux and the histology results obtained postoperatively at the Central Pathology Laboratory. Excellent. So then now um, let's get to the uh, to the results and we're going to go into some of the additional questions that we have about the results. But what would you say are the, the main highlights of the study? In summary, so this free, phase three trial met its primary endpoint to demonstrate the value of Citalux with the near-infrared fluorescence imaging as an adjunct to current surgical methods in ovarian cancer surgery. 
In one third of the patient, which exactly 33% in this study, one or more lesions were found on tissue that uh, which was not planned for originally to remove by resection. These lesions were detected by cytolux and near-infrared imaging, but were not detected with normal visual inspection and tactile evaluation. These lesions were all confirmed later by the Central Pathology Laboratory to be positive for cancer. Furthermore, when we examined the results by the type of surgery performed, we found that 39.7% of the patients who underwent interval debugging surgery had at least one or more additional lesions detected on tissue otherwise not planned for resection. The secondary objectives were to estimate the sensitivity and the false positive rate of this method. Uh, in this study, the sensitivity to detect ovarian cancer was 83% and the false positive rate was 24.8%. Great. And, and Janos, we, we have a, a number of questions from our um, from our fellows in the journal, starting with Nuria Agusti from Barcelona. Um, she asked, 18.7% uh, of patients required an interruption of this technique, most often because of adverse events. Can you be uh, more specific as to what were the most frequent adverse events? All right. So correctly, not the imaging part was ever uh, interrupted, but the cytolux infusion was stopped in 28 patients from the 150 who received the infusion. 22 of the 28 patients were able to tolerate restart, resumption of the infusion, and the mean duration of the interruption was only 14 minutes. Only three of the 28 patients received less than 50% of the planned dose because of adverse events um, uh, during the infusion, uh, any form of infusion reactions. In this study, the most common drug-related and treatment-emergent adverse events during infusion of pufflacian and sodium were nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, some headaches, chills. 97% uh, of such an, uh, events were mild or moderate in severity and typically resolved within 24 hours after the infusion without even treatment. There were notably no drug-related serious adverse events in this study. Excellent. Um, this next question actually comes from two of our fellows, Jennifer Davis in uh, Oliveira in uh, UK and Giulio Bonaldo in Italy. And they're, they're inquiring about the, the actual surgical technique and the, and the approach. And they, they note uh, one of your exclusion criteria was uh, undergoing a laparoscopic surgical technique. Um, and they're wondering why. And then the other is that the question as to whether the thought of potentially this intraoperative imaging um, could overcome the problem of like lack of haptic feedback um, in minimally invasive surgery. So the first part I have to answer. Number one, uh, we built into the study that uh, the pre-imaging evaluation contains white light visual observation and manual palpation. So you needed your hand, and if you do a laparoscopic surgery, you don't have this tactile um, evaluation. Uh, number two, when the study was designed, not all the 11 center had laparoscopic near-infrared camera applying the required wavelengths to use during the surgery. This is why we excluded these uh, the cases, uh, which were done on a minimally invasive way. So uh, looking forward, compatible cameras will be available for both open and minimally invasive surgery. They are available here at PEND today. And regarding the second question, in laparoscopic and robotic surgery, we lose the ability indeed to fill the cancer with our hands 
use of this imaging agent, uh, like, uh, for example, this OTR38 can uh, overcome this challenge that is presented with minimal invasive surgery by allowing us to better, to better see what we cannot really feel. Yeah. Now, Janus, one, one of the concerns anytime a surgeon has, you know, the introduction of a new technique into, into the OR is always like, you know, is this going to really extend my operative time? And uh, the next question was that the median operative time in the study was 301 uh, minutes, but this included patients all the way up to like almost near 15 hours of surgery. Was any of this related to this technique uh, or this approach? No, not at all. Um, in the trial, uh, over 80% of the patients were stage 3, 4. The, actually, the mean operative time was three, uh, 305 minutes, just five minutes over um, this um, uh, uh, couple of hours period. And uh, 15 hours is an outliner. Uh, I don't know which center did this, so it, it did not uh, extend the OR time. Let me just... Uh, check quickly how much was the average imaging time during the surgery. Near infrared imaging exposure was 17.7 minutes. Mm, okay. So so it really did not increase. Uh, but we know that during cytotoxic surgery for ovarian cancer in a stage 3 C4, uh, patients can have a disease spread throughout the, the abdominal cavity. And we take our time visually inspecting and palpating the tissue in order to identify and remove uh, all cancer lesions. Yeah. This means uh, some of the procedure may last longer, but this particular was an outliner. Very well. Uh, next question comes from uh, both Andrea Rosati in Italy and uh, Nuria Agusti. Um, they ask, uh, does the OTL38 guided resected areas that were not detected by white light uh, did they reveal microscopic or microscopic disease? Uh, and then Nuria goes on to ask, how could it be explained that for most patients, the size of the largest specimen detected by OTL was greater than one centimeter? Um, so therefore, do we need to uh, use this type of imaging if the majority are lesions that uh, one would be able to see with the naked eye? So it, it was definitely macroscopic disease. Uh, Puffler CNN can identify lesion as small as a few millimeters. There are many circumstances during the surgery which could prevent the lesion from being seen by the surgeon, actually, even those that are larger than uh, one centimeter. For example, tissue may be damaged um, and scarred from prior cytotoxic uh, uh, effect of prior chemotherapy in an age one setting, or the lesions may be located in challenging location. Mostly those islands were uh, partially treated small tumor lesions and, or retroperitoneal lesions and lymph nodes after an adjuvant uh, chemotherapy. And many of these were hidden in fat-containing areas such as epiploica, mesenterium, omentum. Uh, as you see, most of the benefit was seen in interval debulking group. Those partially treated islands not always visible well and mm. also many times hidden amongst the adhesions. Very well. Um, this question comes from Jennifer Davis-Olivera. Uh, of the lesions detected by OTL38, how many of these prompted a major resection, as an example, a bowel resection? And also she wonders if the false positive rate that you found of 25%, is that acceptable? So uh, the false positive rate should be considered with a, 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 the potential risk additional resection may cause to the patient. 
This is why we evaluated in this study. Most of the far positive lesions were inflammatory tissue or lymph nodes, which has a high metabolism, so had high number of folate alpha receptor expressed on the cell uh, surface and were not prompted any major resection. As you see in the study, actually in uh, uh, table three, if I, if I remember well, the removal of fast positive lesions did not increase the surgical risk. Mm. The rates of serious and severe adverse events were not elevated in the 27 subjects with false positive results. No additional complications were seen in the subjects who underwent additional resection in the basis of near-infrared um, imaging. When we compare the adverse event rate uh, from the trial to the adverse event rate in the published literature for ovarian cancer surgery, we observe no evidence of worsening of the safety profile in patients from whom uh, fast positive lesions were resected. In addition, uh, post hoc analyses were performed to better understand the sensitivity in the fast positive rate in this study, asking the surgeons themselves. It was found that the sensitivity was higher and the fast positive rates were lower amongst investigators who had performed these particle pr procedures at least five times in the past, suggesting that experience improves sensitivity and significantly decrease uh, the false positive rate. Great. And Janos, one of the other things also when we hear about, you know, this type of technique that is hopefully going to be able to uh, help us see things that we can't see with the naked eye is, well, my complete side of reduction rate is going to get even higher. Uh, now, one of the things that came up in the discussion of this article was uh, complete resection rates, I believe, were about 62%. Um, how, how do you explain this? If, if you're using a tool that is supposed to be helping you increase your, your complete detection rate. All right. So the important finding of this study that 27% of the patients in the intent to infuse population and 33% of the uh, study population, additional cancer was found that was on tissue outside of the planned resection field and would have otherwise been left behind because R0 resection is a subjective to the operator. So you state, or I state that I believe it's an R0 resection. Those, some patients may have been considered R0 without the use of Citalux, even though the cancerous lesion would have been unintentionally left behind because they were not seen through standard practices. So uh, I think uh, cytolytics will be a good adjunct for surgical interventions. Excellent. Uh, next question comes from Teresa Pan, and she's in uh, Austria. And she uh, mentions on the ethnicity data, you report that 85% of patients were white and 86% were non-Hispanic. Is there a known correlation between the expression of folate receptor and race? You know, I checked out and uh, I did not find anything. There is no data demonstrating a correlation between folate receptor expression and race. Folate receptor expression in common in many cancer types, including many solid cancers, ovarian, lung, kidney, and colon cancer, but uh, I did not find any race-related differences mm -hmm. in folate receptor expression. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah. yeah, the next question comes from uh, Vansa Koshiasvili from Georgia. Uh, she goes back to this concept of the false positives. Um, could you discuss the causes of these false positives and with regards to the surgeon's subjective interpretation of the intraoperative findings, are, are there any strategies that you can think of to reduce the false positive rate? 
learning, learning, learning. As with any new technology, there is a learning curve associated with interpreting the images. And ultimately, it's up to the surgeon's discretion to determine what is rejected. As mentioned earlier, the data from the phase three study suggests that the fast positive rate is reduced with experience. In addition, as near-infrared camera system continue to improve, I expect to see image interpretation to become easier and faster. Uh, as I mentioned, we performed the post hoc analysis um, to avoid the impact of the experience with the near-infrared imaging of pafluorescein and sodium. As measured by the number of subjects imaged in the trial on lesion detection with near uh, for investigators who had performed at least five or more surgeries, and the false positive rate was reduced, and the sensitivity was increased from 83 to 86.5%. It means that experience of the surgeon with the new methods is very important. And I learned it by myself. Uh, I remember the first five, six cases, uh, how differently I looked everything than after the 20th case, what I have done. Excellent. Yeah, learning curve, always, uh, always an issue. Uh, next question is uh, from uh, Anissa Mburu in Kenya. And um, she talks about the long-term side effects of OTL38. Um, do we know anything about long-term side effects? Will there be any cross-reaction with chemotherapy agents? All right. In the phase three trial uh, for ovarian cancer, the most common drug-related and treatment emergent adverse events were nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and as I mentioned, 97% of all such an event were mild or moderate in severity and typically resolved within 24 hours after the infusion, even without treatment. There were no drug-related serious adverse events. In addition, we know uh, we right now have uh, safety data with Cytolux in 406 patients across the four open-label clinical trials, two studies in with patients with ovarian cancer and two studies with uh, patients known uh, suspected lung cancer. The most common adverse reaction include those with an incidence of over 1%, included nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, flushing, and other infusion-related reactions, hypersensitivity, and elevation in blood pressure temporary, some dyspepsia, and chest discomfort. Cytox does not have any impact on the patient's recovery after surgery, and there are no known interactions with chemotherapeutic agents. Now, Cytolux leaves the body within uh, 24 hours, so it has no long-term consequences. Interesting. Um, Teresa Pan asks, uh, is there a way to increase the expression of folate receptor prior to surgery? You don't want and it's not needed. Cancer says naturally overexpress the folate receptors in order to accelerate the cell growth. There are two reasons why we wouldn't want to increase the expression of the folate receptor prior to surgery. First, we don't want to give the cancer more fuel to grow. Second, we want to keep the expression selective to the cancer cells and not enhance the tissues in order to ensure we only see fluorescence where we want to see it in the cancer cells. Lastly, patients should avoid taking folate within 48 hours before administration of Cytolux with the use of folate, folic acid, or folate-containing supplements because they, that may reduce the binding of pafluorescein into folate receptors and could reduce the detection of lesions using Cytolux. So the Cytolux is competitive with folate on the folate alpha receptor. So if you give these supplements or a folate, they compete for the same receptor on the cancer cell surface. 
Very well. Um, now, getting back to Anissa, um, she's, she's in Kenya and she's she's concerned about the cost implications. And she asked, you know, particularly in low resource settings, what are the cost implications of routine testing for the Foley receptor and then the subsequent surgery with uh, agents like OTL38? So uh, the cost maybe that would be best to us to compound it, but anytime a hospital is considering using a new technology, a cost-benefit analysis must be performed, of course. And with the use of Cytolux, we must consider not only the cost of the product, but what costs are potentially offset, including use of adjuvant therapies and additional procedures resulting from recurrences. Uh, we must also consider what we can be doing to give the patient the best oncology procedure we possibly can. So the cost in this situation, uh, the imaging agent and the camera, but it can be used by multiple surgeons and multiple type of diseases in the future. Right now, there are two FDA approval, lung cancer and ovarian cancer. Okay. Uh, these next two questions come from Ryan Kahn at the Memorial Sloan Kettering. His first question is, uh, have there been any studies investigating OTL38 and progression-free survival? And as we know, folate receptors associated with rapid cell growth. Is there any worry that the binding of OTL38 to the folate receptor may stimulate cancer cell growth in these folate receptor positive patients? So there was no study so far which uh, evaluated the progression-free survival associated with Citalux. The phase three study was completed in April of 2020, and we started to collect some uh, progression-free survival, progression survival and overall survival data, but it is not complete yet. So we do not yet uh, have any data on progression-free survival with Citalux. Citalux is an analog of folic acid, and the structure resembles of folic acid, However, it does not function the same as folic acid. It has no biologic function and therefore does not promote cell division and cell growth. It competes for the same receptor, but it does not promote cancer cell division and growth. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. So his second question is, if used on a wide scale uh, among patients with uh, folic receptor positive disease undergoing primary cell reductive surgery, what do you estimate will be the rate of preoperative use of OTL38 for patients who ultimately may not proceed to surgery? For example, aborted surgery due to the extent of the disease or the pathology. What are some of the ways of limiting sort of like the inappropriate use of OTL38? So it is, a, I think, a very difficult uh, question to answer. Mm -hmm. I think the rate of aborted surgery would be the same without, without pathology and in administration. I know there were studies evaluating uh, the predictability of complete debarking, try to do point system based on preoperative imaging, but it was not successful to predict the outcome of the surgery. This is why uh, we and most of the uh, tertiary cancer centers routinely scope the patients before performing the laparotomy. But generally, as cytolics for ovarian cancer is able to administer uh, uh, one to nine hours prior to the surgery. So patients will receive their infusion at the day of surgery. So I believe the rate of patients being administered the drug who do not proceed with surgery will be low, but, but same with or, or without Cytolux. Great. And um, Janice, uh, just uh, two more questions. I wanna be respectful of your time. Uh, this question is from Giulio Bonaldo. And, and basically he's asking, um, is, is there any impact on giving neoadjuvant chemotherapy 
in, in patients with advanced ovarian cancer in terms of your results with OTL38? In other words, are, are you more likely to, to detect higher rates in upfront surgery versus patients who undergo interval side reduction? Or do you see a utility of this in, in both settings? So uh, after you remember the publication in 2010, the EORTC55971, the first randomized trial demonstrating non-inferiority of neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by interval debulking surgery. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy was uh, uh, considered in a wider uh, group of patients with uh, bulky stage 3C and 4 ovarian carcinoma. Interval debulking surgery is becoming increasingly common and accounted in this study 53% of the patients. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy can result in a significant scarring and adhesion of the tissue, making it quite difficult to distinguish between normal and partially treated malignant uh, tissue under the white light uh, visual inspection. I believe um, this uh, is one contributing factor as to why there was a higher rate of additional malignant lesions identified with Citalux in this uh, uh, patient group and uh, not with conventional um, the visual inspection and uh, manual population. So then now, Janice, the, the last question is usually about, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, this question um, is also by Andrea Rosati. Um, and he asked, you know, in which surgical setting do you consider that OTL38 has the greatest future? Um, is it gonna be in the primary setting? Is it gonna be in the interval setting? secondary cytoreductive surgery. And, and I also would like to ask you, um, how, how do you use this uh, moving forward? Is this widely available uh, for anyone to use? Uh, what are your thoughts? So uh, as I mentioned, this phase-free trial met its primary endpoint to demonstrate the value of cytolux with near-infrared uh, fluorescence imaging as an adjunct current uh, surgical methodology in ovarian cancer debulking. In one third of the patients in the study, one or more lesions were found on tissue not planned for resection. These lesions were detected by Cytalux and near infrared imaging, but were not detected uh, uh, with normal visual inspection and manual palpation. These lesions were all confirmed by the Central Pathology Laboratory. Uh, as you remember, 39.7% of the interval debulking and around 18, 17.9% in the primary debulking setting, we were able to identify lesions with this methodology, which was not identified uh, on tissue, which was not planned for removal. So we definitely can use in both settings, but uh, I think the methodology would be most beneficial in patients who undergo interval and secondary uh, debulking uh, cytoreductive surgeries. Excellent. And, uh, and, and Janice, uh, to, to, to my question, um, is this something that is available uh, now um, to, to use widely or? Yes, it's, absolutely, it's available. It's available. It's already FDA approved in uh, November of 2022. If you remember, we, uh, a couple of institutions, Muffet, um, Sloan Kettering, we already uh, started to use uh, because it's an FDA-approved drug, what you need is the uh, inf that your hospital accept as one of the drugs which can be used in the hospital, and you need the near-infrared camera, an open camera or laparoscopic camera to use during the surgery. So it's widely available, and you can uh, initiate to use it as soon as you wish. Fantastic. Well, Janos Tanyi from the University of Pennsylvania, 
Thank you so, so much. Congratulations on, on this really interesting uh, study, uh, moving the science forward in gynecologic oncology. Uh, congratulations to all of your colleagues and all the centers that participated in, in the study. And thank you once again for accepting our invitation to speak with us. Thank you, Dr. Ramirez, for having me. It was, it was a pleasure to talk to you today.